snowing a lot and it's quite cold. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this Sunday, November 20th, 2022, I want to welcome you all to our Sheepgate Fellowship Sunday service. Uh, before we begin, as we do each week, let's take a moment in prayer and reflection on God's word. I'd like to share with you our church mission statement as we begin. It reads, we exist to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to love God, to love neighbor, to worship God, and to enjoy him forever. I believe this is our call, our mandate, as a community of Christ, as the body of Christ, and as the church of Christ. I hope and pray that this is something we can uh, pursue together as a community. Before we begin service today, I'd like to call you into worship with a reading from Psalm 11. So read from the 11th Psalm. If it helps, you can certainly close your eyes and listen to what this psalmist has recorded for us. Psalm 11 reads, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. The one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Amen. If you could take a moment for the next couple minutes to silently pray as we come before God. In your own hearts, if you could pray to the Lord. Firstly, a prayer of repentance as you come before a holy and righteous God. As we learn from this psalmist, the Lord is righteous and he loves righteousness. But we, of course, know we ourselves are anything but, for we are so unrighteous before him. So, in light of this reality and in light of this understanding, as we come before our righteous Lord, Let's pray a prayer of repentance. Let's also pray a prayer of petition, petition towards God, that Lord, would you have grace upon us in our own lives as we live so unrighteously before you. We, of course, know that through the accomplished work of Christ, we are saved and justified, but in our sanctification, may we wholly trust in him. Let's take a moment as we come before him to worship this God of ours in our unrighteous state, in our unrighteous nature, that we would pursue righteousness as he grants. Let's pray.
in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to draw your attention to the screen, brothers and sisters. Uh, we'll read from question 84 of our Westminster Shorter Catechism. It, it asks, what does every sin deserve? And of course, uh, the past two weeks we've, we have talked about and discussed in the Shorter Catechism uh, the truth, of course, that we are all sinners unable to perfectly observe God's holy will and commands. The answer to question 84 reads, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. So eternal punishment for sins committed against our eternal God. Uh, we of course know that we are all tainted by original sin, and thus, when we sin, every single one of those transgressions deserves, just individually, every single transgression you commit deserves God's absolute infinite wrath and curse upon your life. That is the price that Christ paid on your behalf. And so we are in infinite gratitude to Christ who has saved us. We make very little of the sin of our lives, but the Bible teaches us for the wages of sin is death. The Bible makes much of our sin and he makes much of Christ who died for us. Let's remember this this day. Uh, it's a cold, uh, chilly afternoon. Um, and so hopefully this good news is warming to your heart to those who have faith in Christ. Let's pray before we begin, uh, before our worship team leads us in a time of song. Allow me to pray for us. Good and gracious God, we thank you this afternoon for firstly bringing us safely here to the house of God, to worship, to this place that we dedicate this time to you to sing songs together, to lift prayers, and to read from your holy word. We ask, O oh God, that you would be honored and lifted and glorified, that your name would be uh, made renowned at this time, uh, both in our own individual hearts and lives, and hopefully, uh, as a result, in overflowing into uh, the different spheres of life that we are involved with. God, we ask that this time uh, would be truly pleasing to you. That although we ourselves, our lives, are not uh, that great at uh, worshiping you and giving you glory in all that we do, that this time when we gather as believers, uh, that we are, uh, as a community, uh, firstly in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, and thus our worship redeemed uh, for the good, uh, as good before you, God. We ask that this time would truly, truly be pleasing to you. Thank you uh, for your holy word. We ask that it speak to us most powerfully this afternoon. We thank you and pray all this in your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if I could ask you to rise from your seats, our praise team will lead us in a time of song.
All right, welcome, brothers and sisters. It's a cold and snowy afternoon. I've uh, been uh, blessed with an extended fall summer weather, I suppose. Two weeks ago, can you believe it? It was like, what, plus 15, plus 16? Here we are. Um, Esteli, of course, just got back from Cancun, so I'm sure this is a very harsh greeting to uh, welcome back to Canada. <laughs> um, but yes, welcome back. Uh, welcome to all of you. If it's your first time here, thank you for being with us here today. We're going to continue in our sermon series, and we're reading from the Gospel of Mark. We're beginning the second chapter, so if you have a Bible, please open to Mark 2. We're going to be reading the first 12 verses of the second chapter. Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. For many of you who grew up in the church or are familiar with, uh, I guess, the Christian Bible and, and church in general, I'm sure this is a text you've heard of and or have read or the other renditions in the other Gospels. Uh, but this particular narrative is a point of interest for mine. I think it reveals a lot. I've preached quite a few sermons on this text already, so made my job a little easier this week. <laughs> but uh, it also gave me opportunity to reflect once more on the text at hand. So Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. I'll remind you, we're coming right off of the end of chapter 1, where we saw the healing of a uh, man with leprosy. And so here we are the healing of a paralytic man. Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. I, can read from my, I will read from my Bible so you can follow in yours. This is the word of God. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he, Jesus, was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men, being unable to get, hit, get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone. So they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. Amen. This is the word of God. I want to pray before we get into the word today. Our uh, unreached people group, they come from Bangladesh today. Uh, this is going to be a butchering, but they are called the Kai Barta. You may have never heard of these people. There are about a quarter million of them in the world today. 251,000, uh, completely Hindu, uh, their primary language being Bengali, and there are no churches among this people group, completely unreached today. They're, they're mainly fishermen that live uh, along the coastal regions of Bangladesh, and uh, many of these people are Hindu simply because of where they live and where they grew up, uh, and have zero exposure, as far as we know, uh, in terms of uh, record, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we'd like to pray for them. Kaibarda of Bangladesh, that they would come to know here, firstly, and to know and believe in Jesus and his gospel. 
also praying for Ukraine today, as uh, if you've been keeping up with some of the things that have been happening this past week, we had quite a debacle uh, politically with, uh, I suppose, Russian missiles being accidentally fired into Polish territory by the Ukrainians. It's just a mess, right? Um, blame going all over the place. Uh, chaos ensued, at least for me on Twitter. It was quite chaotic. Um, reading about all the details, firstly thinking, oh my goodness, why would Russia do this? And then the next hour I realized, wait, the Russians had nothing to do with this, right? It was just Russian-made missiles. Um, anyways, it's um, very, very, very um, unfortunate, uh, the realities that we continue to read of uh, in terms of what's happening in the Ukrainian-Russian war. So we're actually coming very close to, we're in the 10th month of this war, very close to a year. I remember being at Hard Calling last year in February and hearing about the start of the war. Um, it's crazy that it's been that long, but we'd like to pray for them. I believe a train uh, with the first sort of refugees uh, leaving Kiev have arrived in some of the bordering countries, and we're celebrating some of re some of the reunited families, and they showed some videos of that on news networks, and that was very heartwarming, but uh, it's, just a, it's just a very unfortunate reality for many people who are suffering, continuously suffering in Ukraine. So let's pray for them. Uh, with that said, allow me to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for um, just your providence, your will, your holy and your good and righteous will for this world. We trust in you and we believe in you, God. You are working all things for the good of those who believe you, and of course, for the good of your glory and for your name renown. And Father, we turn to your word this afternoon and we ask for its truth to be revealed to us through the power of the Spirit. For our eyes and our ears are incapable of truly comprehending that which is contained within this text. We ask for your power through your spirit. We ask also for um, your grace and your mercy upon the Kaibarda of Bangladesh. We pray for them for they know not the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've never heard it. We ask that this quarter million uh, populace would come to hear by means only you've ordained whether it be missionaries or churches or believers or others alike, that they would come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also pray for Ukraine and what's continuing to ensue in that country uh, when it comes to the war, the realities that they face on a daily basis, realities that are so foreign to us, that are unimaginable. We live our lives uh, fearing our jobs, our education, our just day-to-day -day things. These people are fearing their life every day. And so, Father, we lift prayers on their behalf and for them that that situation would be resolved, it, Lord willing, as soon as possible. We thank you uh, for this beautiful day, the gathering of your people. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, it's good to see all of you uh, on this wonderful Sunday. Our sermon is entitled, The Authority of the Son of Man. It comes straight from the text. As, of course, Jesus himself refers to this. Mark records it for us. I think it's really the crux and the central theme of what we've read today. The question that this text that we've just read brings forth in many people's minds, you know, people who do their QTs or their Bible readings on Mark 2, 1 to 12, a lot of their content and their focus will center around some of these factors and variables. Not to say that these are wrong, but let me just lay them out for you. They'll focus, for example, on the healing of the paralytic. They'll focus on the anger of the scribes. They'll focus on the faith of the friends, or perhaps the glorifying of God at the end of our narrative. These are all true 
and absolutely real elements of the texts of the text and things we will touch on in this summer in this sermon but if i could draw your attention to one singular thesis point or element that mark has in mind at the center of this pericope it is the authority of the son of man it is the authority of jesus christ that is at the heart of the text today it is his authority that heals the man it is his authority that addresses the scribes it's his authority that responds to the faith of the friends and it is his authority that leads to the giving of glory to god from all those who are there this text oozes Markan irony, and it depicts to us once again how easily we are focused on the lesser things rather than the higher things of God. It is not to say there is no value in the lesser things, but simply they are lesser in value because the higher things are not just higher, they are infinitely higher than the lesser things. What we see in today's text is Jesus' authority in heaven and on earth on full display, indicative of the work he will ultimately do and accomplish on the cross, where the gulf between heaven and earth will be bridged. What we see here is also another emphatic statement on who Jesus is, not just a man, but God himself, both truly man and truly God. The previous passage depicted a leper who came to Jesus for healing, much like this paralytic, and there he was cleansed of his illness. We discussed what this meant and what Mark was indicating about the true nature of the work of Christ and for what purpose he truly came. Today's text builds on this concept, and in the next five encounters, we will see Mark's illustration and declaration of the authority of Jesus Christ. Let us examine this text through the lens of those who were there. We will look at four parties involved in today's narrative. The paralytic, the four friends, the scribes, and the crowd. Each has something to offer in terms of their perspective and position in terms of what was happening. And through their interaction with Jesus, we are able to gain insight into what Mark is depicting for us about who Jesus is and for what purpose he came. And I think it also sheds light on some of the sins that exist in our own hearts, even as believers. So let's begin. Let's begin with the paralytic, because I think that's pretty central to the text. The paralytic, the main figure that is at the center of this narrative today, outside of Christ himself, is the paralytic. So it would be appropriate to begin with him. Not much is known about this man. We don't even have his name, beyond the fact that he is paralyzed. We're told that this man was lying on a pallet or a mat, thus indicating his inability to walk on his own, also indicating his absolute reliance and dependence on his four friends to carry him. Some have suggested that this might mean that this man was not always paralyzed, born this way, that he became this way, and that his friends, thankfully, did not leave him. Some have suggested this in their commentaries. Speculation at best. But the important detail is that he had friends. At a time when physical defects and handicaps were viewed as punishments from God, and when such people were socially disregarded and outcasted, as we talked about the leper last week, something about this man allowed him to not only have friends, but he had really good friends. Like, really good friends. There is nothing this man does in particular in today's story that stands out. 
In fact, if I could make this claim, this man, who is at the center of this narrative, contributes the least to the narrative itself. He literally does nothing. He does nothing. There's not a word he speaks. There's nothing he says. The only thing he does is he picks up his palate and he goes home, right, at the word of Christ. But yet we are told that this story is about the paralytic who was lowered and healed by Christ. This paralytic is firstly, in his condition, reliant, dependent on the efforts of his friends and the willingness of his friends. Upon his encounter with Jesus, he is then reliant on the mercy and power of Christ. And upon his healing, he no longer requires who? The friends. At least for the purposes of moving. He doesn't require the effort of his friends anymore. His physical condition has been resolved. But brothers and sisters, what Mark gets across so powerfully is this for us is that physical healing is not the point of this story. For the spiritual reality of this man depends, relies completely on, totally on, Christ and his effort. Just as he was reliant on his friends before, the only hope he had was his friends. And now, in order for his spiritual paralysis to be healed, he will need to put his total faith and reliance in Christ to heal him of his most grave condition. And I think what Mark is trying to get across is the worser of the two conditions. His sin is what needs resolving, not his paralysis. William Lane writes, Jesus' pronouncement of pardon is the recognition that man can be genuinely whole only when the breach occasioned by sin has been healed through God's forgiveness of sins. It's interesting to me that this man is lowered, thinking Jesus, this man with healing power, will heal him, and instead his first words are, son, your sins are forgiven. You can imagine, wait, what? <laughs> like, I came here to be healed of this, not... What do you mean sins, right? But I find it interesting when the scribes question him and they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're questioning this in his heart. By divine, by divine power and knowledge, Jesus is able to perceive what they're thinking in their hearts and he calls them out. And he says, for you to all see, right? And he doesn't address just the scribes. In the Greek, it's very clear that he's addressing the entire audience that's present in this house. An audience that's comprised of both the crowd, the disciples, and of course, the friends, the paralytic, and the scribes. And to this entire audience, he says, what's easier between these two things? For me to tell this man to get up, take up his pallet and walk, or for me to say that his sins, sins are forgiven? Which is easier, brothers and sisters? It's easier for him to say your son's sins are forgiven. Why? There's no visible outcome from saying that. You don't see the sins forgiven. You don't see forgiveness now observable in this man. There's no external change. See, in the human mind, what would be harder is for Jesus to say, take up your pallet and walk, because that would require this man to actually take up his pallet and walk, the very thing he couldn't do to even get into the house. 
That would be the miracle that would cause amazement and a spectacle amongst this, amongst this crowd. And Jesus says, no, the primary thing is the sin. And then I'll just do this little thing that you want to. Just to show you this, that not only can I do the lesser of the two things, I'm here to do a far greater work that is completely invisible to you right now. Far too many times we go to Christ for our physical healing instead of our spiritual healing. The friends, the only group among these four that are commended in this pericope are the four friends. And for what are they commended by Jesus is important. It is their faith. What we might tend to commend is their friendship with this man, their dedication to helping him, their generosity, their willingness, their sacrifice. But what Jesus sees as most commendable in them is their faith in him. But faith in what or whom? In Jesus, of course. There you have it. What all other parties do not demonstrate is, in fact, the very thing these four friends do. You see, their willingness and their dedication to go above and beyond to help their friends was not simply fueled by their love for their friends, but their absolute faith in Jesus as one who could help their friend. Why else would you go to all of this trouble and effort to lower this man at the feet of Christ? Which, by the way, is by imagery, such a powerful depiction, is it not? What these friends did not know in bringing their friend to Jesus was a greater miracle that would take place. They had faith in Jesus' power to heal, but what they did not know was his authority to forgive sin. I told you weeks ago that the healing episodes of Mark tie closely with the spiritual states of the people of the time. It is no different here, for the friends are being contrasted by the scribes, who we will get to shortly. The friends lower their friend, thinking Jesus will heal him. The first words out of Jesus' mouth, as I mentioned earlier, is that, he, that, is that his sins are forgiven. Something I'm sure that was shocking at the moment. It's not the reason they came to Jesus. But what is displayed and demonstrated in Jesus' act of both healing this man and declaring him forgiven is the full authority that Jesus has in heaven, on earth, to heal us both of physical and spiritual ailments. The friends that day went to Jesus seeking something small, and we're given something much greater. So the question I, ask, I have to ask, are your friendships, your relationships with those in the circles of your life dictated and centered by affections for them or by faith in Christ? I think what we're given here is a glimpse as to the priority that Christians ought to have in our earthly relationships with others. Remember that Christ himself told us that we must deny father, mother, brother in order to follow him. He also taught that the greatest commandment is to love God to, and second, to love neighbor. One flows from the other. For to love others is to be predicated firstly on our love for God and of God. So my challenge to you is this, to make every relationship in your earthly life about Jesus. The world will tell you that you have a Christian agenda and that is very unappealing. Please stop that. I'm sick and tired of your Christian agenda, right? That's the world will tell you. When I was on campus as a staff, that's what they told us. Stop witnessing in the library. It's really annoying. I'm not saying you need to be 
harsh or annoying about it. But brothers and sisters, wherever you may be found, I pray that you would, like these friends, be actively seeking to bring them to the feet of Christ. For what better gift do we have to offer them than Jesus and his gospel? James Edwards, on the faith of these friends, faith is first and foremost not knowledge about Jesus, but active trust that Jesus is sufficient for one's deepest and most heartfelt needs. If Jesus is the greatest need of their life and you know him, to relent that message, to suppress that message in your relationships with others is selfish. Third, the scribes. The obvious antagonists of the four parties are the scribes. This is the first encounter we have with them in the Gospel of Mark, as they will only appear a handful of times, none of which really depict them in positive light if you read them all. However, this group is not to be taken as simply bad people, right? We have a tendency to just think Pharisees, bad, Sadducees, bad, scribes, bad, right? Bad, 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 all bad people, right? Well, let me remind you, the Apostle Paul was once a Pharisee, right? I mean, good man, right? You must understand why they thought right, the way that they did and why they're questioning Jesus here. I'm not fighting for their cause or, like, defending them. I'm just trying to give you more understanding. There are things they're doing well, but there is something, something truly critically important that they're missing as well. And I think that's the warning point for all of us. The scribes were men that were essentially the most knowledgeable of the Old Testament laws and of the scriptures. They studied the scriptures intently and were trusted men who could correct theological errors. They were men who were guardians of God's written word. So what went wrong here? They missed something critical, important. Perhaps the same issue that the Apostle Paul would discover in his own theology later, after becoming a Christian. The scribes were knowledgeable about the coming Messiah. They knew of this. They knew he would restore Israel, that he would save God's people, that he would bring back order under the law, that he would even heal and cast out demons and perform miracles. They knew all of this, things that Jesus was doing. No wonder their non-issue with Jesus was his healing ministry. They had no problems with this. But what they did not know is exactly what nature this Messiah would carry and what work this Messiah would truly accomplish. They were ignorant of this, of the nature of Christ and the nature of his work. They were waiting for a man. They were waiting for an earthly king of the Jews. Jesus came, and yes, he was a truly a man. And yes, he was the king of the Jews. But he was also divine and the king of kings. The scribes did not know the Messiah would forgive sins. Here's what Lane writes. The Messiah would exterminate the godless in Israel, crush demonic power, and protect his people from the reign of sin, but the forgiveness of sins was never attributed to him, according to the scribes. That work, in their eyes, was reserved to God. So to have what they could only see as a man proclaiming the forgiveness of sin to this paralytic was an act of blasphemy which in the Old Testament was condemnable by death. They didn't know who Jesus was, nor the work 
he would truly accomplish. I sometimes wonder how other faiths and non-believers could read the same Bible, the same Genesis, same Exodus, same Deuteronomy, same Leviticus, same books, the same text. There's no difference, right? They're reading this page, they're reading the same page. I wonder, I think, how could they read the same Bible that I read and come to completely different conclusions? How could they not see what I'm able to see so clearly? And I realize this, we learned in our confession of faith, the illuminating work of the Spirit is remarkable. It's supernatural. It's extraordinary. It's miraculous. And not only unlocking the secrets of God's word to us, and the mysteries of it, but also to move our hearts to believe its content properly. Praise God for that. Praise God for your faith, brothers and sisters, for you did not produce any of it. Finally, the crowd. I'd like to make a short note on the crowd that was present, but I think it's the most harsh rebuke or harsh warning to us all. And I'll just point out a few things. And as a pastor, I'm very hesitant to, at times to speak of the congregation in this way, but I'm going to include myself in this because I don't view myself any higher or lower than you. But I think it's food for thought for all of us churchgoers. The crowds were a hindrance in these stories, right? They were a hindrance not only to the ministry of Jesus, who could now no longer enter cities easily, thanks, thanks to that leper, right? <laughs> that leprous guy. They were a hindrance for this man to get to Jesus, resulting in them cutting the roof open. Right? Gathering a lot of people is not as important as spreading the truth about Jesus. We're so focused on filling seats. Sometimes our numbers are a hindrance to the good work that our ministries are trying to accomplish. For what purpose were these crowds gathered anyway? That they would not allow a paralytic to enter? For what work were they truly there to observe and see? They were hearing Jesus speak but what were they hoping to truly see? It's really sad, but a few weeks ago on Halloween, we had like that unfortunate incident in Korea, right? Triggered by like what, like a celebrity in a hotel? Everyone's like jam-packed on an alleyway to see this one dude? Really? Is, it, is, that, is that the image that we want of the church? That we're all jam-packed to see our celebrity pastors? We're all jam-packed to see like Celebrities that go to the church? Are we here for people? They're meaningless things. These people heard Jesus' fame. He healed a leprous man. We gotta go see this guy. And his paralytic could not enter. All of them could walk. Now crowding the doors that a man who truly needs to be at the foot of Christ cannot even enter. What a hindrance. They were hearing Jesus speak. They were hearing his words just audibly in their ears, right? But what were they really seeking in their hearts? 
Their amazement only comes after the man picks up his pallet and walks, <laughs> right? The miracle that they were all waiting for. And then the text says, they all gave glory to God. Fair. But it only comes after that healing work. For what do they give glory to God for? What do they truly gather for? Mark likes to play on irony, as I told you in our introduction to this gospel. He shows us throughout his gospel that Jesus gathers his own privately to teach them the meaning of his teachings. Although the crowds are there left with general teachings. Crowds may be there and hearing. They may be present and listening, but they're not understanding and they're not receiving. James Edwards writes, being part of the crowd around Jesus is not the same as being a disciple of Jesus. So here's my hesitation, but I want to say it. Do not be a crowd member at church. Be a disciple of Jesus. If I could tease the Korean church a little bit, I think as a PK I have a right to do this. Don't be that deacon that comes to church for ping pong, right? Please, don't be that guy. Don't be the elder that golfs. Don't be that guy. It's like, oh yeah, that el elder Lee, yeah, he just, he just golfs every week. Yeah, that guy, right? Not that guy. Be the elder that is known as a man of God. Be the faithful woman at church who is known for her love of God. That's what you ought to be known for. In my conclusion, here's what I think we can gather from this text. I mentioned the irony of this text earlier. I hope you see it now. It's in the scribes. For the truly paralyzed in this text are them. They are the ones who need healing. They are the ones in need of true healing. Not so much the paralytic or the friends. The scribes are so paralyzed by their so-called religiosity that they're unable to rejoice in the work of the Messiah and forgiving sins. There's heavy indication here that they were part of the glorification of God at the end as a mirac for the miraculous healing work of Jesus, but not of his forgiveness of sin. They were offended by the greater work of Jesus. A foreshadow of things to come. A warning to all that the scribes are certainly knowledgeable. They're smart. They're intelligent. They know things. But they lack where it counts. They lack in their faith. What knowledge could the four friends have had it would lead them to faithfully lower their friend to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do not marvel at Jesus' ability to heal a paralyzed man in this story. Marvel instead at the work of Jesus, who will by grace be able to heal even a scribe of his spiritual paralysis. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word this afternoon and what he has taught us.
Can we all rise for worship?
gather today as a church um, to worship you, to praise you. Um, Father, it's such a privilege to know you, to be known by you. And um, Father, I pray that you would just remind us daily of the gospel, of um, your command for us to go out. And Lord, I pray that we would just seek to um, just desire to spread your love to um, love others and um, just be grateful for um, the fact that Lord that you love us and that we have the gift to be able to yeah Lord just love others as you have loved us Father I thank you for your grace for um, accepting us as we um, despite our brokenness that we could come before you and by you and um, Lord you take us in our sinfulness and again and again you knock on our hardened hearts to soften them and um, Father we just thank you for this fact and Father I pray that for the upcoming week Lord that you would be our strength be our peace be our rock and allow us to remember that Everything we do, Lord, is not by our own efforts, but is um, everything is through you and because of you. And Father, I pray that we can just be in remembrance of that. So Father, as you have continued to faithfully provide for us, Lord, I pray that daily we can give back these gifts and um, with a grateful heart and Lord, that your will be done. Father, we thank you again for today and just in our prayer, amen. Okay, we're going to end our time today with just a few announcements quickly. First of all, welcome to all of you. Thank you for braving the storm. Is it a storm? Does this count as a storm or a regular snow day in Canada? Um, but anyways, thank you for driving through that to be with us here today. Uh, if it's your first time here, uh, we welcome you and hopefully our Welcome team will get a chance to connect with you. Um, offerings can be sent uh, two ways. One, e-transfer to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com uh, and or the basket at the back. It's a literal basket. Like it just looks like a tiny basket. It's on the red table over there. Um, so if you'd like to give that way uh, through the old school way, you can definitely do that. Unfortunately, I forgot the envelope, so uh, you might just have to mark it on your own. Um, also, please join us for fellowship. Um, you know, it's a little cold, a little snowy, so I wouldn't blame you if you want to go somewhere warm. But if you want, we do have food uh, prepared. Uh, so our KM graciously has prepared food for us. If you'd like to join us in our other building, which is just four minutes south of here, uh, we'd love to have you there for fellowship as we discuss together, eat together, and just spend some time together. And following that, we will have our confession study for today. Uh, I think we're going to be able to finish Chapter 5 today. We're at a, like, a good pace now, right? We should get through uh, 30-something chapters pretty quick. Um, but anyways, uh, please join us for that if you have opportunity. By the way, Esley, of course, told us of like the availability, right? Confessing the Faith on Amazon. Is this sold out now? I don't know if it's sold out yet. But uh, stock up while you can because uh, it sells out pretty quick. Uh, so if you want to access that, you can do that. Uh, men's and women's discipleship groups uh, will have, I think, what will be our final gathering this month in about two weeks. Um, so at the end of each month, our men and our women gather together, 
and uh, spend some time eating together and praying and going over the word and just, you know, spending some, t- spending some good time in um, fellowship. So if you'd like to join us, please speak to any one of us plugged into the church, and we'd love to see you there. Starting next year, of course, we're going to restructure some of these things, um, as you know, and so we're going to need some help with that. Uh, but please let us know if you'd like to. Uh, this week's John Bible study will continue, uh, 7 p.m. at the church. Uh, we've been having a lot of fun, like, going through, uh, I've been having a lot of fun going through the Gospel of John. Uh, the rest, I don't know if it was fun for them, but hopefully it is. Uh, but we'd love to see you there. We actually have a couple other churches coming out, and I think it's good to connect with them, too. Uh, just a few people, and it's a good little, like, mix of different uh, backgrounds, and I think it's a good chance to discuss God's Word together. So if you'd like to join us, just feel free. Jump in whenever you like. Um, Christmas party. Okay, Christmas party, December 22nd, Thursday, our condo party room, uh, and we'd love to see you there. However, there is a capacity, so we only have, fi- we can only fit 50 people, um, so it's first come, first serve, but we're going to prioritize uh, our regular church members and then everyone else. So, you know, I know you might have like 20 friends, Jess, right? But don't go and start inviting all of Earth, um, please. Uh, <laughs> we're going to prioritize our members. We're going to collect a small fee of $10 from everyone. Uh, just to pay for the rental, as well as uh, some of the other things that we need to purchase, like decorations and other things. And Aria's in charge of that. I think she's assembled her team, and they're working hard on it. Uh, so December 22nd evening, please join us uh, for that time of fellowship and fun, right? Uh, so that's that. Uh, and, yes, we two quick announcements. One. Uh, we have potential building we might purchase based on church vote. We're going to bring that up soon. It's located at uh, Steeles and Weston right off Highway 400. So by, by distance, it's farther, but by travel time, it's the same because it's all highway. There's no like local traffic you have to deal with. Um, the benefit of this unit is that uh, parking is incredibly like large. <laughs> um, and second it's very easy to renovate. Like, it's a very renovatable unit. Um, anyways, so there's potential. We'll bring it up. We'll see how everyone responds to it. Um, but just giving you a heads up on that. The second thing is, um, we're s- we, began, we began the planning process for next year, our entire ministry. So that includes scheduling, that includes budgeting, and uh, putting people in place for positions of like uh, like leadership, like leadership in certain areas, different areas, right? Uh, I'll be contacting some of you soon, uh, but we need a lot of help. So we're no longer at the point where we can run this thing like a tiny group of six people. Um, we actu- I actually desperately need help now. Um, it's like at the point where like I actually need your help. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how I can emphasize that anymore. Um, but if everyone pitches in just a little bit in different areas, it would help me immensely uh, in the running of the church. And so there are various areas where um, you have opportunity to serve. I'll make a post about this soon. Um, And if you're able and you're willing, yeah, we'd love to um, incorporate you into that. All the budgeting and all of the planning, I will go over with uh, some of our senior members and then we'll present some of those things to you prior to us presenting that officially as our application to the KM. Um, so just keep that in mind, okay? With that said, uh, let's rise, end off with the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, we'll see you at the other building, if you'd like. And, oh, yes, um, one of our tears of visiting. She provided us with some coffee. So please enjoy in the back if you need a little caffeine hit.